Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Really is. Uh, so glad you're here. Let them. They're excited to be here, or they're excited to leave. I, I'm not sure what it is. Hey, I wanna I wanna make two announcements to you before. Uh, or as we open God's Word this morning. Number one is this, Bob Loudon, uh, Bob and Joyce, uh, um, dear people in our congregation, Bob passed away uh, back in August, and uh, his service is going to be next Saturday here at Central. And the visitation time is going to be at 9, and the service is going to be at 10. So I just say that uh, in case you don't, you're not on social media or something to get the announcement. So visitation is at 9, and uh, the service is at 10. So that's one announcement. Number two is this. I, I've been uh, encouraging you. Now I'm going to encourage you one more time. If you are currently not registered to vote, uh, it's time to make sure you register. You can do that online. In November, we have uh, huge elections, and I'm not talking about just the midterm nationally. We have five uh, school board seats up for uh, election, re-election, and uh, we've, uh, we've been praying over our school board uh, now it's time to mobilize and make sure that we are voting correctly. Uh, we will try to get you voters' guides in your hands to help you as you prayerfully make the decision. But this is huge. This is huge. But if you're not registered to vote, you cannot vote. So I uh, want to make sure you're uh, registering to vote uh, right there. So with that in mind, I, I want to just... Pray once again. Brett's done an incredible job of, of getting his team preparing our hearts. You're singing good today, man. I, I just, I, I love it. I love it. But would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we are in desperate need of you. Father, you are an incredible. God, you love us with an unconditional, sacrificial love that we just do not deserve. And Father, you have called us together today to exalt you and to please your heart and to get instruction. And Father, it's like coals coming together. We burn brightly, but Lord, we, then we got to scatter back to our mission fields, whether it's the school, whether it's our neighborhood, whether it's the job place, whatever. You've called each of us to be missionaries and ambassadors for your kingdom. So Father, I pray that our hearts are wide open to hear what you want to say to us right now, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 4 in just a moment. But let me kind of, some of you maybe haven't been here the last few weeks or your guests. So let me bring you current uh, on uh, what we're talking about here. 
we, we, in the month of August, we looked at going against the flow of our culture. And I tried to paint a picture of us as Christ followers having to go against the flow of what our culture uh, has had for us. But the month of September, we're looking at distractions that keep us from keeping our eyes on the Lord. And we're looking through the letter of James that he wrote in the New Testament. We're seeing these distractions, how they uh, take our eyes off of Christ. And the first week we talked about trials, how that these trials that come in life, even though all of us are going to face them, you either are in a trial or you just came out of a trial or you're about to enter a trial. And these trials are distractions that take our eyes off of Christ. The last week we talked about the distraction of anger. We live in an incredibly angry day. It's just right on the surface. Is is uh, you know road rage doesn't happen uh, just because somebody cut you off. You had to back up into something that put that anger in you uh, to erupt like you do. And so we talked about the distraction of anger. Uh, today we're going to go uh, a step farther in our distractions. But before we get there, I want to kind of set the plate for you a little bit. Many of you have heard of guerrilla warfare, not gorilla, uh, but guerrilla. And uh, guerrilla simply means little army. So guerrilla warfare, in fact, I've got an old manual that was the art of guerrilla warfare. And uh, it was put out in the 30s. And guerrilla warfare, basically, I, I, I've got a definition that, uh, uh, that you can just see what guerrilla warfare is. Guerrilla warfare is an outmanned group uses stealth and subterfuge to come against a foe. An outmanned group. In other words, you don't have the numbers, you don't have the weaponry, you don't have... Of the ammunition, you don't have what it takes to really, if two armies come together, there's one that is completely outmanned. So what they do is they use stealth and subterfuge to come against the foe. In other words, they hide, they use unorthodox methods to uh, come against the, the foe and whoever it may be. I read about a, a general Francis Marion, he was called the Swamp Fox. How about that? Swamp Fox. During the Revolutionary War, which the American colonists were completely outnumbered by the uh, British who had come, but yet the Swamp Fox was known for his guerrilla warfare, and he would uh, come, his guys would hide out in a stealth mode and then come against people. He was known as a swamp fox because of what he did. I believe that the enemy, Satan, the devil, the adversary, whatever you want to call him, he is completely outmanned. He, is, he has no authority unless we give it to him. And what he chooses to do is to use things like distractions because he is so outmanned he uses that stealth and that subterfuge to come against us 
And what we do is we end up taking our eyes off of the goal of where we're headed and we start putting it on the things around us. But please hear me. Satan is a defeated foe. He was completely defeated at the cross and he is just a pest now. And what he has done is he has distracted believers from following closely to Christ. Because, you know, if we see evil face to face, we're going to run away from it. We're not, we're not going to deal with it. So when evil is just put right in front of you, 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 don't, you recognize it, so you uh, run away from it or you deal with it. And when the enemy is not visible, we struggle. Uh, in fact, uh, modern-day warfare, what is an insurgent and what is uh, the Taliban or whatever, you know, that's been a struggle uh, for modern-day uh, struggles that to take place. But when an enemy is visible, we will fight. But the problem is when we don't see it coming. And that's the way many distractions work. Let me give you a working definition of a distraction, and then we're going to read the scriptures. A distraction is an object or a circumstance that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. An object or a circumstance. It can be a person. It can be any number of things that prevent you from giving your full attention to the direction you need to be going. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we read the Word of God. We know we're inhabited by His Holy Spirit. He leads us to follow after Christ. That's what a, a Christian is, a follower of Christ. And we are to go that direction following Christ. But what happens is these distractions take our eyes off of the road and where we're heading. Many of you have taught your children how to drive. Um, and you pray a lot. You want, to pr you want your prayer life to improve. Teach your children how to drive. But one of the biggest things that teenagers, and when they are learning how to drive, is to not be distracted. You know, you can't be looking in the rearview mirror to check your hair and your makeup or whatever you're checking because the rearview mirror is to glance at, your side mirrors are to glance at, you're to be looking out uh, so that you're not distracted. And so the enemy has done a good job of distracting us. So let's look at what James says today. James 4, 1 through 10, I'm going to read it and then we're going to unpack it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose 
that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. That's great. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James begins this chapter by talking about these wars. There's two battles that he's talking about. The first battle is within. It's the battle within you that your passions, your fleshly nature... The word passion actually is where we get the word hedonism from, the love of pleasure. These passions within you, this seeking pleasure within you, wars with your spirit. And I believe that the most miserable person on our planet is not the person that is completely lost. They're, the person that is completely lost and has no knowledge of the faith you would think they would be miserable, but I'm telling you, they're not the most miserable person. They're just doing what their sin nature says because they're a slave to sin. But the person that is most miserable is the person that has one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Because what the world does is he's pulling you apart. The person that is sold out to Christ, they're following after Christ, their tanks are full as they walk in the Spirit, they're, they're full of the fruit of the Spirit. But the person that struggles is the person that has one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And you see this all the time. So this battle is within. What does this battle look like? It's full of guilt and shame because you, you know this is not the way you are to be living. It's not the thought pattern that you have. Your worldview has gotten skewed. And so what has happened is is that you struggle with this war within. And then secondly, it's the war with others. The, the struggle that is with others, the conflict that is there that leads to division, that leads to the lack of direction and the lack of unity. You see this among Christians way too much. Not only is the battle within, but the battle is with others. And some of you have, have been a part of congregations before that uh, because of the distractions of life there was something that caused a division in that church it may have been so simple as the color of carpet or the color of chairs that people just want to take a side and, and make that a hill to die on and I'm thinking oh man have we gotten off base but James is talking about two wars and it's this passions, this pleasure. It's my rights, right? We, I have rights, I, and these rights are there. And so he talks about these passions, this pleasure, this lust, these cravings. And the way I look at it is a feeling of entitlement. Tell me if that's not a 2022 uh, thought. And I know... 
that there's young adults here that others have said, oh, this generation feels so entitled. We all feel entitled. We all struggle with this selfish entitlement that is there. Let me give you a definition of what it means to be entitled. Entitled is a belief that one is inherently deserving of special treatment. One is inherently deserving of special treatment. I am a snowflake. I am a fingerprint that nobody else has. And we feel like it entitles us to something because we're on this earth. I remember when Tiger Woods had his fall uh, from his relationship with his wife and, and he just... Uh, fell off the, the, the mountain, so to speak, he, in an interview, basically in a moment of, of uh, humility, said, I actually thought I was above the law. And how many of us feel that way? Oh, that's for somebody else. You know, what he's saying, that's for somebody else. And I hope they're listening. But this entitlement has led to us uh, being distracted because we have these passions and pleasures and lust and cravings and feelings of entitlement that are in us. And what happens when our rights, so-called rights, are stepped on, we get hurt, we get angry, we get insecure, we get jealous, and it leads to mental health struggles such as depression. And what we, we respond Instead of having coping skills, you know what we do? We take our ball and go home. Instead of coping, we just take our ball and go home. I'm going to isolate. I'm going to get with somebody else that agrees with me instead of dealing with things the way we need to deal with them. And so these conflicts come within and with others. And so what are the results of this conflict? I want you to grab this because James gives an antidote to this. And, but I want you to see the results of this conflict. Number one result of conflict within and with others is your prayers are hindered. He says, you don't ask correctly. In other words, you ask selfishly when you pray. And... Your prayers are hindered. The second result of conflict, and you see this in people all the time, you will defend your position to the hilt. You will defend your passions. Well, it's just the way I am. I, I'm just a passionate person. So you will defend that. You, will, uh, you won't give ground. You won't understand that, that uh, Christ whose rights were completely trampled on, we don't think that our rights should be trampled on, so we defend our passions. The third thing is this. We will drift towards the world. We will drift towards the world. The flesh is crying out. And, and the way I look at this is that we, uh, it's not like we are on fire for God in one minute and then the next, uh, the next minute, we've stepped off the map uh, into lostness. What happens is it's a slow fade, a slow drift, 
we take our eyes off of the Lord, we put them on self, and everything's about me, 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 and the selfishness that's there. And what happens is, is we slowly drift and we look just like the world. There's no difference. So, results of this conflict, prayers are hindered. We defend our passions. We drift toward the world. Here's two more. We find ourselves fighting against God. Instead of going with Him, what happens is, is we start defending this selfish passion, this conflict, my rights have been stepped on, We start defending this, and what happens is we find ourselves fighting against God himself. And then the last thing is this. Our witness is destroyed. You see this among many believers. You know the reason so many people who have no um, attraction to the things of Christ, their, their problem is not with Jesus. Their problem is what we have displayed about Jesus. And so what happens is, is we defend our rights. uh, We we don't handle it correctly. We find ourselves fighting against God. We drift to the world. And what happens is our witness is destroyed. And we have to uh, take that very seriously in our day, if we're going to make high impact for Christ. And then notice what James says. He says in verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, when you embrace the world, and, and hear me define this a little bit. I'm not talking about the ocean and the trees and the dirt and grass. I'm not talking about the thing that make up the world. What James is talking about here is when you uh, are in love with the culture, when you're in love uh, with the flesh, when you're in love with that life apart from God, when you become a friend with the world, you're automatically going to become an enemy of what God stands for. And that, that love of the world affects us two ways. It affects us, first of all, in our behavior. We start acting like the world. We get self. We get pride. We get that pleasure. We get fleshly. Me, me, me. Mine, mine, mine. It's all about us. When we embrace the world completely, we want whatever's going to make this flesh feel good. But not only is there a personal behavior situation, but there's a mindset that we start to develop. And that mindset will lead to anxiousness. It will lead to uh, truth being watered down. It will lead towards a worldview change that we never saw coming. So I wanted to set the table on this conflict and the distractions are pride, pleasure, and entitlement. And James gives four uh, steps in opposing this guerrilla warfare that the enemy comes against us. So let me walk through these right quick. Number one, it says in verse 7, 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The word submit, we don't like very much because it literally is a picture of, of uh, surrender. But the word submit means literally to yield to a superior force. Now, when you're driving and you see the yield sign, that means that somebody is going faster on the, on the road that you're going to go on than you are. So they're a superior force at that point. So you're to yield to the superior force is what you do. When you uh, yield, when you, some of you had older brothers and they would get you down and they would take your arm and bend it like it was supposed to bend. And they're saying what? Say uncle, which literally means yield. And so you yield to superior force. You surrender your rights and you submit to God. God, I, uh, I surrender to you. Uh, we used to have a family that lived next door. And, uh, and uh, they had little kids. And so uh, we, uh, we would get to know the kids. And, and I would hear the, the little one, he's yelling, Mark, Mark. And we have a privacy fence, but he knew I was in the backyard. So what that meant was I would I'd go over to the fence, and he would be doing this. Now, the reason he was doing that, he wasn't worshiping me. <laughs> what he was doing, he was holding up his arms because he knew I would reach over and grab him and pull him to where I was. He was yielding to me. So when you worship and you worship with your hands outstretched, it's one thing to acknowledge God, but it's another, another to come with open hands to say, Father, I yield to you. I submit to you. And uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein, the great conductor, American conductor that died, I think, in 1990, he uh, was approached one time and, and uh, they asked him, what's the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play. He said the hardest instrument to play is somebody to play second violin. Everybody wants to play first violin because they get the biggest parts. But second violin is so vital to the harmony and melody of what is taking place. But everybody wants to play first violin, so the hardest instrument to play is second violin. Not because of skill, because of desire to willing to submit to one another. So James is saying, submit therefore to God. And then number two, he says this, resist the devil. Now, uh, we believe in spiritual warfare. We believe that there is a, a devil. We believe he is, he is not, uh, the, it's not the force and the dark side. And that's not what it is. We're talking about uh, he is completely uh, defeated at the cross. He's still a pest. He still brings uh, uh, temptation. He, he uh, brings distraction. We believe that. But James is saying, submit to God, resist the devil. And, and we live in a day where we've almost turned spiritual warfare into a circus. Where we're going to rebuke the devil all the time. I, I get tired of people wanting to rebuke the devil, but they're not willing to submit to God. And uh, so, but, but what James says here, 
he said, resist the devil. What does it mean to resist? Resist means to fend off its influence. To fend off its influence. And so we are to resist the devil. And how did Jesus, I I go back to Jesus in spiritual warfare. How did he fend off the devil? He used the word of God. Even though he was the ultimate word of God, he used the word of God. And so he was able just to tell uh, uh, Satan, the devil, the adversary, whatever you want to call him, he was able to come against him with the word of God. And Jesus is all authority. So when the enemy comes at temptation or however whispering lies to you, however he may come against you, that what you do when he comes knocking with that temptation or that whispering, let let Jesus answer the door. Let the authority you have be in him, not in you. It's in him alone. Resist. Fend off the influence. So submit to God. Resist the devil. And number three, he says this. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. All of our Christian journey and all of the life journey from the day we're born is to seek and to, and to follow after God. We are to seek Him. Now, somebody could say, well, Mark, when I read the Scripture, it says the Holy Spirit indwells me as a follower of Jesus Christ. So how can you uh, continue to draw near when He is that near? Well, it, it's like this. We quench the Holy Spirit. We squelch Him. We... Uh, we do things that uh, 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 offend and t- turn him away. And what happens is, it's like if you were to take a remote control and you were to go to another room. I read about a guy that he was watching a game and so he, a phone rang, his, his phone rang in the other room and he grabbed his remote and he went into that other room and he's talking on the phone and he was trying to uh, cut up the volume on his TV so he could listen to the game as well as have his conversation. Now, what we try to do sometimes is we find ourselves prone to wander, to drift from the Lord, and then we say, oh, God, I need to hear your voice, and we start doing that remote understanding that we have turned our back and almost gone to another room. And so what has to happen is there needs to be repentance and drawing close to God. And, and he gives two areas in the, which we need to understand as we draw close to God. Number one is, he says, cleanse your hands. If you've memorized or read Psalm 24, who may ascend the, hand of the, hand, the mountain of the Lord, the hill of the Lord? Him who has clean hands and pure heart. He's given the picture here of a priest going in to make his sacrifice. He has to clean himself first. So cleanse your hands, ask the Lord to examine you, and and I know that I am just one of you in this, but when you live in this world and you play in the world sandbox, you're going to get dirty. And so the Lord says, listen, Cleanse your hands, purify your heart. See if there be any 
wicked way in you and yield to the Lord. So, if you're with me so far, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. And the fourth one is this, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Notice in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You will not exalt yourself. He will exalt you. Humble. Have lowliness of mind. Um, go as low as you can. Humble yourself. Andrew Murray it does a, an incredible book on humility. I love to read that book. and It just reminds me that my rights, I have surrendered unto the king of all kings. And I walk humbly before him. Corey Ten Boom, who many of you have heard about during World War II, uh, her family was taken prisoner by the Nazis because of, of they had helped the Jewish people by uh, hiding them and that kind of stuff. So Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, you've maybe heard of the hiding place. It'd be a good read. And uh, they were in a... Um, concentration camp and the horrendous stories there but Corey Ten Boom would uh, share how um, uh, her testimony and she was talk about humility and how God used that humiliation to create humility in her life and she would use this as an example she said on the day that Christ came for his triumphant entry into Jerusalem where everybody is crying out Hosanna waving palm branches, laying their cloaks down in the road. She said, she would say this, I don't think the donkey that Jesus was riding on thought it was for him. You know, we, we are but servants of the king. And it's not about you and me. It's about can we give honor and glory to him? You know, when we come in here on Sunday morning, my, my prayer is, God, you're, you're the audience here. This is not the audience. We're not up here to perform. We're here for your glory alone, audience of one. So humble yourself. I have a picture of a, a wheat harvest. There it is. There it is. Farmer was approached one time, and he was, he was talking with a guy about pride. And he said, uh, you need to stand tall. You need to uh, gloat. You need to, to uh, boast. And the farmer said, you know, when wheat is ready to be harvested. The grain gets so heavy that it bends low. And this grain is ready to be harvested. And notice that it's not standing erect like an oak tree, but it's bending over because of the wheat that is there for the combine and the harvester to come and get the wheat. I want you to know that someday there's going to be a harvest of mankind. And we can stand with pride, but probably we're not bearing any fruit for the kingdom. 
if we're going to go low, God will develop and harvest us for the fruit that we bear. Is pride or entitlement or pleasure a distraction for you? Yeah. But can we come to the point of saying, okay, Lord, I want to draw near to you. I want to humble myself before you. I want to resist the enemy. I want to resist the devil. I want to fend off his schemes. And Lord, I want to walk humbly with you. Bow your heads with me, if you would. I hope those words penetrate right now. Some of you in this room may not have a relationship with Jesus or it's one of uh, entitlement. You think, oh, I'm a child of God. I deserve better. I deserve more. Listen, oh, Jesus surrendered his rights. He surrendered all of his rights, except for the right to give his life as a ransom for us. Just your head bowed and your eyes closed. I, I, I want you just to yield. Whatever, however you need to do that. Maybe it's like little boy next door. You just need to raise your hands and say, God, I yield. I yield to you. The problem that many of us have is that we do not have an adequate view of God. We've created God in our own image and thus He's not worthy to yield to. But God is the awesome creator and ruler of all. He's worthy to yield your life to. So Father, as we've gathered today, as we're going to sing this song, I, I need you, Lord, I need you. God, may we have the courage to walk in obedience. May we have the courage to step out and come to this altar and just kneel before you or to come take an elder by the hand and say, oh, I need you to pray for me. God, would you use this? time for your glory. Let's stand together, church. Elders and pastors, please come. The Lord's Supper is on my right and on my left if you just need that intimate time of the Father. But you come. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait for a singing or anything, you just come, you just come and deal with the Lord right now.